0: Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Pete. I'm the worship pastor here at The Crossing Church, but today I have the honor and you have the pleasure of me being able to share God's word with you. And I'm so excited about it. I know that this is Memorial Day weekend. There'll be people spending time with family today. Maybe schools have just let out and there'll be some folks on the road traveling, heading to kick off their summer vacations this week. But wherever you're at, I want you to take a moment and stop and pause and let's get in God's word together. Um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I know Pastor Chad has been in a series on the Holy Spirit. It has been a wonderful series and we've experienced many outpourings of God's presence here in this house. And I trust you've experienced the same in your house as we've been going through that series. And I get the honor of being the buffer message today before we get launched into our summer series. It's gonna be Summer on the Mount and we're excited about that. So consider me today somewhat of a spiritual palate cleanse. Uh, from the previous series to the next, but I believe that God has something so important that he wants to share with you today. So we're going to look in everyone's favorite book of the Bible. You've got it, Leviticus. If you will turn with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 14, and we're going to read a handful of scriptures to, to launch our message today. Starting at verse 37, here's what the word of the Lord says, and he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, 40, this is verse 40, "'Then the priests shall command "'that they take away the stones in which is the plague, "'and they shall cast them to an unclean place "'outside the city. "'And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside, "'all around, and the dust that they scrape off, "'they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city.'" Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Today, I want to share with you a simple yet profound topic. The subject of today is if walls could talk. Can we pray for a moment together? Lord, we thank you for this word. I pray that you will just move during our time together, that you will speak to the hearts of your people, that you will speak to all those who are listening and use your word to bring spiritual transformation into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I got this message actually a couple weeks ago. I was sitting with my son, we had went out for kind of a father-son hangout time. And we found ourselves at Champy's Chicken. Woo-hoo, come on, go Champies, right? And we're sitting there and, cause I had been craving some catfish and I love Champy's uh, catfish, go bottom feeders, yeah. And so we're sitting there, and we're eating. And uh, if you've ever been to a Champy's, um, many of them, as you know, they have dollar bills that are stapled on all the walls hanging all over the place. And uh, so we're sitting there and I'm looking at these walls and, and Peyton's looking around, my son, he's, he's eight years old. He's looking around at these, these dollar bills. And by the way, let me advise you, parents, if you have a young child and you take them to Champy's Chicken with you, Make sure you evaluate the wall that you're going to be sitting at before you sit your child down, especially if they can read, because they may get more than good chicken there. They might get a good education based on what some people have written on some of these dollar bills. But I was sitting there and I was thinking, man, if if some of these dollar bills could talk to us, what, what would they say? What journeys they've been through, the places they've gone, the people they've met, the hands they've passed through, maybe famous people that that they've passed through. And then I kind of looked at a little bit more of a broader perspective and thought, man, these these walls are covered with these dollar bills. What if these walls could speak to us the stories that they could tell us? And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if it was the sweet tea, but I almost felt the voice of the Lord kind of asked me this question. He said to me, if the walls of your life could talk, what would they say? See, walls are very important. Walls can tell stories. There are actually a few famous walls uh, that came to my mind when I was thinking about this message today. One is the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall was, of the most famous walls in modern history, dividing a nation for 28 years and playing a significant role in the Cold War. See, back in the 50s, Germany uh, was split into two halves. You had the east side, you had the west side, and the country's capital, Berlin, was actually located in East Germany, but the city was uh, portioned up between East and Western powers as well, and a wall was put up between the two. At first, it was just a fence, but it was soon filled with concrete, and at one point was up to over 11 feet tall in some of the places. The idea was that the wall would stop people from fleeing the poorer communist Soviet controlled Eastern Berlin into Western Europe. Many hundreds of people unfortunately died trying to cross it in the hopes of a better life on the other side. The Berlin wall became a symbol of oppression and control inflicted by East Germany and the Soviets on its citizens. But in November of 1989, and yes, I'm I'm old enough to actually remember watching this happen on television, the border was declared open and people in Berlin began to tear the wall down. To this day, the Berlin Wall and what's left of it remains is a powerful symbol of the impact of division. Millions of tourists visit what's left of the wall each year, here's another wall that came to my mind when I was thinking about walls that tell stories. Is the Vietnam Memorial Wall, and, and again, I'm I'm very aware that this this sermon is going to be played on Memorial Day weekend. It's coming up, and we want to honor all those uh, who have served in the military, especially we want to honor the families and remember those who who lost their lives serving our great country. Uh, but the Vietnam Memorial Wall, I've actually been there a few times, and if you've ever been there, you, you cannot doubt uh, almost the sacredness of that moment when you, when you walk up the, the hush that almost comes over the crowd as they approach this memorial. There's a somberness there, there's an honor there, there's a respect there. And um, the design for this memorial was actually determined through a nationwide competition and over 1400 submissions. Um, the memorial wall was dedicated on Veterans Day of 1982. 70 separate panels make up each of the walls V-shaped. One of the memorial points towards the Washington Monument while the other points to the Lincoln Memorial. With 200 feet long walls, they contain more than 58,000 names. The names are listed in chronological order by date of their casualty and begin at the end and the origin point or the center of the wall where the two walls meet by including the names of all those who were killed or missing in action. The memorial conveys just how overwhelming the casualties were during this war. Visitors can see a reflection of themselves in the names on the black granite walls, connecting the living to those who are lost. There's another wall, very famous been depicted in many movies and pictures over, over really over uh, decades and even centuries. But the Western Wall located in the city of Jerusalem is a holy place of prayer and pilgrimage, sacred to the Jewish people. The wall was part of the second temple of Jerusalem, the center of worship in ancient Israel. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. The Western Wall is all that remains. Jesus himself, would have seen this wall and would have visited it. The Western Wall is about 160 feet long and 60 feet high. It's also known as the Wailing Wall because of the sorrowful prayers of the Jews who pray there. They mourn the destruction of the temple and pray for its restoration. Visitors write prayers and petitions on slips of paper and wedge them into the cracks between the stones. And these are just some of the famous walls of our time and, and just to show the importance of walls and how walls really do tell stories. And I wanna go back to our scripture in Leviticus and I'll be the first to admit that, that this may also, this may seem like an odd, um, maybe a little out of ordinary uh, reference for a sermon and, and I've not heard many sermons preached about the leprosy found in the plague, found in these walls as they moved into the promised land. Um, in fact, Leviticus is one of those uh, books of the Bible that people often skim through <clears throat> when they're doing their one year Bible reading plan and sometimes don't pay much attention to the various laws and regulations that are found there. But I heard an old preacher say one time that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament Revealed. In other words, there are some deeper truths and powerful truths I believe found in these passages of scripture that are still applicable for us today. Are you ready? All right, so the children of Israel, they have just left Egypt's bondage. They have went through the Red Sea, They're nearing the conclusion of a 40 year wandering period in the wilderness. And now they stand on the precipice of the very promise given to their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, some over 450 years before this time. And as they prepare to enter into the land, God begins to speak to Moses and give them laws that they are to live by while occupying land the promised land. These laws include methods of worship, directions on relationships between people and sanitary guidelines. And they were all intended to set these people apart from the nations that were around them and to help them live a clean life, a holy life and a blessed life. Does anybody wanna live a blessed life? Amen. One such directive, as we read earlier, involved the cleansing of the homes that they were to inherit and inhabit. And more specifically, the cleansing of the walls of their new homes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked into a moldy room have you ever walked into a space that's been shut off from any airflow? Maybe there's moisture built up. Maybe it was a crawl space or a or a basement area or a, a room that had experienced flooding and it had been shut off and, and moldy. There's just, isn't there just something very noticeably different about the air or the atmosphere? of that room. The very atmosphere of that space seems smothered and unclean, almost lifeless. And it doesn't take very long for you to realize that there, something's wrong here. Something's wrong with this room. God says, when the children of Israel are coming into these homes, he says, I want you to pay very close attention to the walls. What if walls could speak? Walls are important to God. Not all walls are meant to be torn down or destroyed. Walls represent boundaries and they are built to keep good things in and bad things out, amen? We all have walls in our lives, whether we realize it or not. Our relationships have walls, our hearts have walls. For example, when you make a commitment that you're gonna live a pure life before the Lord, you have built a wall in your life, when you declare maybe you're married and you've said that divorce is not gonna be a part of your vocabulary, you have built a wall in your marriage, when you commit that you're not gonna live a life on credit and you're gonna be a faithful steward of all the blessings, the financial blessings that God has given you, you have erected a financial wall in your life. These are good walls to have. When you say, as for me and my house, we are gonna serve the Lord, you have established a spiritual wall in your life and those walls speak. I love, this, I love this one scripture. It became close to my heart in the last several years. It's in Proverbs 25 and 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And what, what that Proverbs telling us is that someone who is guided by their emotions and we know how emotions can be, they're fleeting. They're one way, one day, one day, the next. Maybe they can change moment by moment, hour by hour, event by event. And if you're that type of person that's led by your feelings and led by your emotions, you're like a person, you're like a city without any walls. You have no protection over your life and anything can come and anything can go. We'll get more into that later on. So here's a question. If the walls of your life could speak, what would they say about who you are. Today we're going to listen to six walls from God's word. We're going to listen to the walls of the Red Sea. We're going to hear from Saul's walls. We're going to listen to Hezekiah's wall. The walls of a desperate dad, the walls of a borrowed tomb, and the walls of an upper room. And we're going to hear what these walls have to say to us today. So number 1, the walls of the Red Sea. I love this scripture. It's found in Exodus chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So here's the question. What would the walls of the Red Sea say if they could talk to us? Here's what I believe the walls of the Red Sea would speak to us if we would listen in. They would say, why are you so afraid? Do you not know the God that you serve? He's full of power. He created these very walls of water and we answer to his command. The ocean of fear and doubt that you thought would drown you can actually become the very highway that will lead you to your destiny. I love the lyrics from this old song we used to sing in church by the Planet Shakers just a couple years old. says, nothing is impossible. The chorus says, through you, I can do anything. Through you, I can do all things because it's you talking about the Lord who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Through you, blind eyes are open. Strongholds are broken. I am living by faith. Come on, can we say it together? Nothing is impossible. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that He is a God that can make the impossible possible, that He can move the unmovable, that He can make the unbelievable believable? Let's just take a moment and think about what it must have been like for the Israelites as they are walking off those sandy beaches into what just moments before was the Red Sea. As they're walking along, I can imagine that they would look at these water walls on either side of them and maybe they could see some of the, uh, they could watch some of the sea creatures swimming around, fish and, and turtles and other life of the sea swimming. They could see their silhouettes and shadows along the walls. Can you imagine what that must've looked like? Maybe they looked over and they could see wreckage from ships or boats, fishing vessels that had Sank uh, years, decades, centuries before. And they're looking around and I don't know, maybe halfway through someone was looking around. They started to get a little afraid and they would think, oh, this is great, but how long is this going to last? Or I can't believe that God is doing this for us. Or maybe someone looked around and said, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid. I'm afraid that we're going to die. And maybe just as those thoughts or those words of doubt and fear crept into their mind, maybe the Lord allowed, a little fish to come out of the wall and just slap them upside the head. Hey, it's my sermon today. I want to preach it the way that I want to preach it. That's the way my imagination works today. Maybe he allowed a turtle to come out and just fall on their head and say, listen, do you not see what God has done for you and what God is doing in your life? And do you not believe that through God, all things are possible? He is the God who formed the universe in seven days. He walks on. Water, He raises the dead back to life. He commands heaven's angel armies. And you believe that your current situation is big enough to knock him off the throne? Do you believe that our current, even our political and cultural climate can outmatch, outwit, or outlast the God of heaven? Take a moment and listen to the walls of the Red Sea. God sees you. He hears you and he loves you. He cannot and he will not fail you. Amen. I love this scripture in Luke 137. This is what Mary uh, declares whenever she's given the announcement that she's going to be carrying Jesus in her womb. She says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Amen. I love that. So here's wall number two, Saul's. We're talking about King Saul from the Old Testament. And uh, he was the first king of the nation of Israel. And uh, he started off following the Lord and obeying the word and having a a close relationship with God. But somewhere along the way, we'll discover he began to veer off onto his own, own path and through acts of disobedience, the Lord had removed the anointing off of his life and removed his presence from Saul. And here's some scriptures. The Bible tells us in First Samuel 18, 11, and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. And then again in First Samuel 19, verse 10, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night." Here's the question. What would Saul's walls say if they could talk? Well, the first thing I think they would say is, ow, watch where you are throwing that thing, jerk, <laughs> right? But here's, here's really what I believe his walls would say to us. Behold the full measure of the consequences and price of living a life of disobedience to God's word. Each one of you had the potential for greatness and the possibility of living in divine destiny, but you were all also one bad decision or two away from becoming a tragic tale of pain, disappointment, rebellion, and selfishness. If this happens, your walls, here's the wall speaking. If this happens, your walls like me will be scarred by fear, insecurity, pride and anger. Saul's story is truly a great tragedy. Again, here's a man who once walked with the Lord and was at one time God's chosen man for leadership. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. He was tall, he was attractive, he was charismatic. He was built for battle. He was a mighty warrior and a great strategist. He was a man of seeming humility and was actually mentored by one of the Old Testament's greatest prophets, the prophet Samuel. But in spite Of all of Saul's advantages, he fell into the same trap, which often befalls those of great authority and privilege. He began to believe his own press so much that he started making deliberate decisions to take his own life into his own hands. And because he thought he had a better way of doing things. Have you ever been there before? And that's not in itself, is that not the very definition of sin and pride, when we look to the Lord and we say, I have a better way or even a faster way. See, Saul fell into the same traps that many of us fall into by ascribing two S's, the letter S, two S's to the Lord. See, we, we fall into disobedience when one, and, and pardon my language, when we think that God is stupid. And there are many people that live their lives, whether they admit it or not, they believe God Is stupid because they believe they have a a better way, a smarter way, a more accurate way of doing things than the Lord does. Or here's the second S. They believe that God is slow. They believe that they can produce faster, quicker, more better results than the Lord. And this is what Saul did. There were many instances found in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15 where Saul took matters into his own hands. And because of that, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Notice that all these actions that Saul were dictated to him by his emotions, his feelings. They were feeling-based choices, not faith-based choices. I want to encourage you today, never confuse your feelings for faith. So many people never learn how to discern between the voice of their feelings and the voice of faith. Does faith ever ask us to do things out of the ordinary? Yes. Does faith ever ask us to do things that even defy logic? Yes. Does faith ever ask us to believe for things that seem almost unnatural? Yes, but one thing faith will never do is ask you to do anything that contradicts the instructions of the Lord. I love this Hebrews eleven six. boldly it declares to us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder Of those who diligently seek Him. God doesn't reward feelings, He rewards. Faith, Amen. Number three, we're going to turn to Hezekiah's wall and take a listen to what it would say to us. I love this story. It's found in Isaiah chapter 38. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it's a story so good. It's recorded in the word three different times. You can also find it in 2 Kings chapter 20 and Second Chronicles chapter 32. But I'm going to read this out in the New Living Translation. Here's what Isaiah tells us. About that time Hezekiah became deathly ill and the prophet Isaiah said, son of Amos went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he's promised. I will cause the sun's shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. So the shadow on the sundial moves backward 10 steps. And here's our question. What would Hezekiah's wall say to us if it could talk? Here's what I believe his wall would say. It's real simple. God is a God of mercy. He is a God of forgiveness He's a God of second chances and he can even turn back time and rewrite your history. That's a great promise. Amen. See, Hezekiah was a young man when he became king over Judah. He was 25 years old. And by the time Hezekiah had showed up, the nation of Israel had been divided into a northern kingdom, which was Israel. The capital was Samaria and the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And its capital was still in Jerusalem. Also at this time, the Assyrians had came in and they had invaded the northern kingdom. They had occupied that territory because the Israelites had walked away from their covenant promise with the Lord, God had removed his hand of protection off of their life, and he had allowed this foreign nation to come in through an act of judgment and overwhelm them and overtake them. Once they had occupied Israel, Assyria then began turning its attention on the Southern kingdom of Judah and on Jerusalem. Assyria had already defeated many of the fortified cities of Judah. And here is Hezekiah, he sees this this great strong army, this enemy, this empire knocking at his door, wanting to pick a battle, wanting to pick a fight and overcome him and take him and destroy him. And in one last ditch effort to try and placate the enemy, what Hezekiah did at that moment, instead of trusting the Lord, instead of putting his trust in, in God and in his prophets and in his word, he actually took all the gold, all all the silver out of the temple of the Lord. And he even stripped the very walls of the temple from the gold and all those precious metals and gave them to the king of Assyria to try and again, placate his anger and try and, and, and create some space and some time there. So let me ask you, uh, what do you do when you are under pressure? What, what happens when you find yourself in a situation when your enemy has you surrounded and there seems to be impending doom with no hope of a way out? What happens when temptation comes to your life and threatens your very destiny, when it comes to your walls (laughs) and threatens your destiny? Do you trust in the Lord or or do you find yourself in a place of compromise? What happens when the bully is staring you down in front of all of your friends? Do you dare fight with courage or do you hand over your lunch money? (laughs) See, this is what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah handed over the lunch money, but it actually wasn't his lunch money. Turns out it was God's lunch money. And for that, the Lord sent Isaiah to tell him that his time was up because he needed someone who would trust God enough to fight valiantly for the cause of the kingdom. But in that moment, I love this, Hezekiah turned toward the wall. God gave Hezekiah a second chance. He not only healed him, he redeemed the remaining time that Hezekiah had left to live. Do you understand from a scientific point of view, what God had to do in order to turn the sundial back 10 spaces. God loved and heard Hezekiah's prayer so much that he literally took the whole planet Earth and spun it back. He spun it backwards. He turned back time and he rewrote those moments. He rewrote Hezekiah's history. Instead of a death certificate, he gave Hezekiah a promise of redemption, a promise of forgiveness, a promise of a second chance, and a promise of protection from his enemy. That's a great promise. Next, we're going to turn to the walls of a desperate dad. we're gonna look into the New Testament. This is probably my second favorite story in the word of God found in Mark chapter five. We're gonna start reading verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Here's our question again. What would Jairus's walls say if they could talk to us? here's what I believe they would answer. They would pose a question of their own. Whose word are you going to believe? The words of the crowd of culture or the word of the Lord? I've always loved how when the servants come to get Jairus and tell him not to bother Jesus anymore because his daughter's already dead, One translation says, immediately, Jesus turned to Jairus. Immediately. He didn't waste any time. He immediately turned to him and he countered this word from the crowd. He said, don't be afraid, only believe. He might say to us, don't be discouraged. Don't be angry. Don't be afraid. Don't be disillusioned. Don't be depressed. Only believe. Believe. Remember back when we were talking about Saul, we said that God doesn't respond to feelings, but rather he responds to faith. There are so many voices speaking in our lives today. Hundreds of commercial images, thousands of billboards when you're driving up the interstate. You can't get on social media or any type of internet interface without seeing dozens and hundreds of ads. Uh, Actually, one marketing expert estimates that the average person sees between 4,000 to 10,000 ads a day. All these voices vying for our attention. You need this. You need that. You would look better wearing this. You would look better driving that sports car or having this watch or or eating this certain type of organic food or you need this workout system, this diet routine. All these voices speaking to us. The enemy has hijacked this world system and he's using it to bombard our minds with the same two Two mindsets that he used, as a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis in the garden, he uses insecurity and inferiority, both of which are fear-based emotions to try and pull us away from what the Lord would have us to do, who the Lord would have us to be. The dreams that God has given us, the future that God has planned for us. There's so much confusion in our society today because we are now reaping the consequences of decades struggles between faith and secularism. The rise in postmodernism, humanism, cynicism and skepticism has literally bathed an entire generation of people with a spirit of indifference toward the word of God. Much like the mourners in the house when Jesus arrived, culture, at least American culture, looks at a powerless and politically polarized church and laughs in scorn. We've done a great job even in the church of deifying humanity and humanizing divinity. Is it any wonder that we're so messed up in 2021? And yes, just like the enemy came after this synagogue leader's little daughter, the enemy is after the next generation. He's after our sons and daughters. Don't be deceived, this is a war. He has a clearly defined strategy. If the true bride of Christ doesn't arise out of a spirit of slumber and pierce through our bubble of safety and comfort and ignore what the crowd of culture is saying, we may lose a whole generation to the spirits of this age. But I believe that all is not hopeless, all is not lost. All it takes is for a father or a mother like Jairus who will run into the presence and into the arms of Jesus. And despite what the world is saying, bring Jesus home with them. Jesus wants to walk into our moments. Jesus wants to burst into our lives with real life and abounding joy. I still believe that there is hope for this world and I still believe there is hope for this next generation. I still believe what John ten ten says that although the thief comes only in order to steal, kill and destroy, here's what Jesus says, I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the the full till it overflows. Do you believe that today? All right, number five, the walls of a borrowed tomb. This story is found in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse one, but very early on Sunday morning, when the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't. Here he is risen from the dead. And here's our question. What would the walls of a borrowed tomb say if they could talk? Here's what I believe they would say to us. Absolutely, unquestionably, irrefutably, and explicitly, there is no other name under heaven that can bring true salvation, that can bring true wholeness, that can bring peace, that can bring joy other than the name of Jesus. If you believe that, can you just say the name of Jesus wherever you're at and just feel the shift of the atmosphere that takes place in that room as you release that powerful name into your world. So many people put their trust in lesser gods, idols, if you will. We often trust in things, we trust in jobs, we trust in careers, we trust in schools, relationships, positions and possessions and titles. But there's only one man who ever laid down his life for me and three days later took his life back up again for me and his name is Jesus. He's the only true source of strength and power for us in this time. There's only one truly empty grave and all other lesser gods fell and pale in comparison to him. Those walls would boldly declare that Jesus is really alive and that Jesus is really Lord of all, not because of what he did necessarily on that Friday, but because of what happened on Sunday. And because of that, I love the amplified version of John chapter one, verse 12. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in and rely on his name. Come on, the name of Jesus. See, I am infused with kingdom authority today because I am a child Of the king. I can go boldly and enforce kingdom rule in this earth because I am a child of the king. I don't have to walk in fear today because I am a child of the king. And I don't have to walk alone because I am a child of the king because on the third day, the walls of that borrowed tomb said, He's alive. He's alive. Lastly, the walls of an upper room. Luke twenty four forty nine. Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then over in Acts chapter two, verses one and two, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I like verse three. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's our question. What would the walls of an upper room say to us if they could talk? Here's what I believe they would say. When God makes a promise, rest assured, he will deliver. And in the meantime, you need to wait, keep waiting, and don't stop waiting. 10 days, 10 days from Luke 24 to Acts chapter two, 10 days, the disciples, there were 120 of them they waited in an upper room for this promise to be fulfilled. Actually, if you wanna read a little bit into scripture, I've heard it preached this way too, because the Bible says that there were actually over 500 people who had witnessed the resurrection of the Lord and, and his ascension into heaven. Over 500 people had had an encounter with the Lord after he had risen from the dead. And it's suspected that this prayer meeting actually started out with 500 people in an upper room, but something happened along that time to where at the end of 10 days, only 120 of them were left. What happened to the rest? What happened to the other 380 followers and disciples of the Lord? They got tired of waiting. They got tired of waiting for the promise. Genesis tells us of a young man by the name of Joseph, who the Bible says when he was 17 years old, God gave him a dream. And before he realized the actualization of that dream, before it came into fruition in his life, he was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of rape. He was thrown into prison. And some scholars estimate that he waited at least 13 years before he fulfilled, before God fulfilled the dream and the promise on his 13 years. Can you imagine waiting that long for an answer to prayer? Exodus tells us of another man, we talked about him a little bit earlier named Moses, who waited for 40 years and wandered in the desert. Watch this, not only wandered in a desert, but wandered in a desert with complainers and moaners and gripers who were all ready to turn back and walk to Egypt at any moment's notice He waited for 40 years. I'm sure there were so many times when Moses wanted to give up, when he wanted to turn around, but he pressed on until he was able to lead the Israelites to the border of their promised land. In the New Testament, our prime example, Jesus We find him at 12 years old in the temple. He tells his mother, I'm about my father's business. He's in the temple and he's he's asking questions and he's he's sharing answers and, and knowledge that he has about the word. And he's impressing the scribes and the priests and all those who had gathered around to have this encounter with this boy, this Jesus. And don't you know that it would have been real easy for a 12 year old. I don't know if you've ever been 12. It'd been easy for a 12 year old boy to think he was really something at that moment and begin to long. His worldwide ministry, but no, what happens when his parents show up? Basically, his mom shows up and says, Boy, you need to get your tail back in the caravan, we're going home. And what did Jesus do at that point? He submitted, he obeyed, and it was another 18 years before Jesus would launch his ministry. Jesus himself. Had to wait. How long have you waited to realize the promises of God in your life? If God is asking you to wait, you are in great company this morning, friend. So, in conclusion, this brings us back to square one your walls. Leviticus 14, we're told that if these walls were plagued, they were to remove the affected bricks, the stones, and they were to replace them with clean bricks, with clean stones, with clean mortar. Are the walls of your life today, your home, your dreams, your marriage, are they plagued? Are they plagued with unbelief? Are they plagued with fear? Are they plagued with disenchantment and dissatisfaction? Maybe you can borrow some bricks from these other walls that we've talked about today. Maybe you can visit the Red Sea walls or Hezekiah's walls or the walls of an upper room and borrow some bricks that you need to replace those walls in your life that have become plague. Maybe you can replace your unbelief with faith, your sorrow with joy, your pride for humility. I don't know what it is that you stand in need of today, but I wanna encourage you, listen to your walls. If your walls could speak, what would they say today? Can we just take a moment and bow our heads and let me pray with you as we conclude today's service. Holy Spirit, I pray that something that was said, something that was shared this moment today will have spoken to the lives of those who are watching today. I pray God that they will begin to examine the walls of their life, that they'll begin to listen to the very walls of their life, their heart, their marriage, whatever area Lord, that's in need today, God. I pray that you'll just fill their lives with hope and faith and courage. Lord, there may be some that they don't even have a relationship with you and they need to listen to the walls of the borrowed tomb today. Maybe they need to know that you really are alive, that you really are Lord, and maybe they need to call on you and receive you into their heart and begin this relationship with you that can transform their lives, God. We pray, Lord, whatever state they're in, God, those who are watching, that you will just show up. Holy Spirit, show up in your power. Cleanse our walls today, Lord. Replace the bricks that need to be replaced. Renew our minds with your word. Fill us with faith and joy. And we'll walk in your blessings as children, as sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, hope you have a wonderful week.
1: That was a great message by Pastor Pete, if these walls could talk. And uh, hey, I wanna let you know about something exciting coming up this summer every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. in the youth building here on campus at The Crossing. We are having what is known as Summer School. And no, this isn't just for young people. This is for everybody, all ages. We're coming together and we're gonna have a discipleship class this whole summer. And it is gonna teach you how to truly follow Jesus in the world that we live in. We're calling it Summer School 6 to 8 every Wednesday night starting June the 2nd. Come, eat, hang out, and let's learn how to be followers of Jesus. Also, we have June the 11th, Friday night. We're having a luau right here on campus. We're going to have some fun, eat some food and just hang out Hawaiian style. Okay. So that's all coming up. I just want to say again, thank you for watching. You can check us out here every week, nine o'clock, 11 live or 10 a.m. right here on Virtual Church. We will see you soon.